0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Oak Ridge, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. Charles Mulley, six years old, his mother. And father. Father was uh, an abusive alcoholic. They were living in such abject poverty, they did not have enough food to feed the whole family, and so they, while Charles was asleep, got up early one morning and left. This was in Kenya, about two hours outside of Nairobi. They left him to fend for himself, although they left him in his aunt's care, but she could not hardly feed her own family. And so, at six years old, he was left orphaned, hungry, desolate. He made his way to the city of Nairobi, and when he got there, he just scavenged for food. Whatever he could find left over in a dumpster pile. Not a dumpster pile, but a, but a pile on the street. There were no dumpsters. Eating crust, eating, eating scraps of slop sleeping underneath boxes and paper bags. He found himself a job working as a a, uh, a servant for a wealthy lady. And he decided that he was going to get out of poverty, no matter what it took. Along that same time, somebody told him about Jesus and he trusted Christ and so there was a beginning of a faith walk in his life. And there was a beginning of, of some kind of a life. Even though he was still orphaned, he had a place to sleep eventually. He eventually had a better job and just keep moving on up the ladder. And as it so happens, the way his brain was gifted to work, he saw that there was a need. And so he bought a truck and he wrote a name on the side of it, Mullyways. He decided he would start a taxi service. Well, his one truck turned into two trucks, and then it turned into four trucks, and then it turned into 16 trucks, and it kept multiplying over and over and over. He met a young woman. He married her. They had eight children. You saw his children in that film. And as his life began to get better, as he began to have more money, his life began to become more influential, he became more happy and satisfied and he looked back at where he came from and no doubt he said, the Lord has greatly blessed me. Then he got into real estate and he got into insurance and then he became a distributor of natural gas in western Western Kenya. He basically owned the rights to sell gas. So in the early 1980s, in a country that was, that was blistered by famine and by hunger and poverty, he was a multi-millionaire. I want you to process this for a moment. He came from nothing to having a large, nice, comfortable house with air conditioning, food on the table every night, for a man who as a boy ate out of the trash piles. He went from having been abandoned to having a lovely wife and eight marvelous and healthy children. In fact, every night they would sit down at the family table and they would talk and they would play games and they would laugh. And there was such calmness and such peace and such serenity. And no doubt as he laid his head on the bed every single night, he thanked God. God, thank you that you have rescued me from the life that I once had. His wealth and his prosperity and his faith put him into multiple positions of authority and multiple positions of influence. He became a president of Youth for Christ. He was he was on multiple boards that were, were, were uh, organizations that shared the gospel all throughout Kenya and no doubt all throughout the world. By anybody's standards, he was the picture of the pinnacle of success. What most of us in our lifetime would say, that's the kind of influence, that's the kind of life I want to live. But one night he saw on the street a few boys and their eyes locked. And in that moment, there was a fork in the road. In that moment, his world was rocked. He was shaken to the very core of who he was. Down the one road was the life that he had built, and no doubt that God had built for him and through him. And that life was a life of influence and prosperity and peace and safety and security and and influence and respect. And this other fork was a fork that was unknown and uncertain. Reason to be fearful. It was a fork that made no sense and certainly didn't make sense to everybody watching, not the least of which was his own family. And the Lord spoke to him in that day and said, Charles Mulley, no longer will you work for money. I want you to work now for me. He said, Lord, you want to bring me back to where I was? Why did you put me here? But he couldn't shake it. I believe that every one of us in our life at some point come to a fork in the road. Now, for some of us, it's a fork that's just about, about our own life and our own priorities and our own values. But for some of us, it's a fork that says there's a massive direction shift, directional shift. There's a, a massive change. And every one of us, when we get to that fork, can choose to go left or right. God does not make us do one way or the other. In his graciousness, He helps us to be obedient. He shuts doors and he closes things down, thankfully, because that helps us to nudge us into the area that we're not wanting to go. But at the end of the day, yes and no is in your hands and in my hands. God does not force you to follow him. Jesus had a rich young ruler come to him and say, Hey, what does it take to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Well, you know the commandments? Keep them. He goes, look, I've done all that. I'm good, right? Jesus said, yeah, but there's one that you lack. Go sell everything you have a fork in the road. Go sell it all and follow me. And the Bible says that Jesus let the man turn around and walk away sad because he was a man of great prosperity. God lets you choose. My question to you today is this, when you come, if you have come to the fork in the road, will you choose obedience or will you choose disobedience? And the true matter is, you can choose disobedience and still have a productive life. You can still have a a, a semi-faithful life. You can't be fully faithful because you've told God no. But at least you can still have influence. You can still have safety. You can still have security. You can still have God's blessing. He'll let you go on just like you are when you come to that fork. And he'll, He'll still bless you at least to a degree. It's not like the moment you make the wrong choice, God goes, I'm never going to be your father again. No, he stays your father. He still loves you. He still, he still guides you. He still works on you. But here's what I've found to be true about God. When God gives us a choice, when he says left or right, if we choose left when we're supposed to choose right, God never changes his mind that he wanted you to go right. When God calls you, I believe anyways, I don't see any evidence otherwise, it is an irrevocable call. He says, I'm calling you this day. I am appointing you to this people, to this place, to this life, to this, to, this, to this way of being. I'm calling you and my call is irrevocable. Ask Jonah. If you'll go through the Scripture, what you will find in virtually every... And I say virtually just because I, I may be missing one. But as I process through the Scripture, every major biblical story, every single person came to a fork in the road. Do I say yes to God? Or do I say yes to the same? If you will open your Bibles, I want to bring you to one of these stories in Exodus chapter 3. The thing that struck me about this movie, and by the way, this movie is going to be shown this Wednesday night right here. I want to ask you to be here to watch this. I saw it a few weeks ago, and to be honest with you, I started the movie multiple times, and I got about halfway through it, and then I stopped watching it. I was, it was, a, it was a, a certain limited amount of time that I had to view it. My time had run out. I had 72 hours and I didn't finish it all. And, and so I figured, well, that's the end of that. I kind of get the gist of the story anyways. It's about a rich guy who decides to help the poor. Well, I came into the office the next day and, and, I, and I happened to click on the link and it was still active. And I go, oh, well, that's interesting. I've just given, been given extra time. It's like playing that skee-ball thing and you get an extra ball, right? I mean, it's really cool, right? Okay, maybe you all don't go to Chuck E. Cheese. I used to. <clears throat> Influenza City. So, um, I sat down in my office and, and, I, and I watched the remaining 45 minutes of this thing. Man, it was like God just hit me in the chest. And in that moment, this message was birthed. Because here's what he said. He said, Jeff, Molly could have had a good, successful life. And his legacy would have been good. But had he chosen to follow the path that he was on and not taken the fork, to this day, over 12,000 children would not have had a home or a family. The majority of them would have died from disease or from neglect. None of them, most likely, would have become business owners, teachers, doctors, attorneys, politicians, out of his fork literally came over 12,000 orphaned, abandoned, hungry, diseased, uneducated, broken, abused, leftover, refused children into life. And my thought was, why would I settle for this when I could have this? Because you know the difference between the two forks, if you really get to the bottom of it? Your own comfort, safety, and self-preservation. At the end of the day, the only reason not to follow the fork when God gives you the fork, all, the only reason not to, or all of the reasons not to, are completely about you and not about Him. Now we spiritualize them by going, yeah, but look at the influence I'm having. Hey, guess what? If God says go right and you stay left, you don't have influence for Him like you would over here. Does that make sense? In Exodus chapter 3, let's look at this story. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within the bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, hmm, that's in the Hebrew, by the way, hmm. I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? So why is he in Midian? Why is he on Mount Horeb? Why is he tending flocks? Well, you know the story. Moses was born in a time where baby boys were under two years old, were murdered by a jealous uh, ruler. And so his mother Mightily and, and wisely and courageously hid this child in a in a basket covered in tar and stuck it in the river and let it go. The faith of this mother that that this child would be in the hands of God. As she put it in the, put him in the river and let him go and then watched with, with, with anxiety, no doubt, as this basket flowed down the river. And it just so happened that there were some women in the river bathing and one of those women happened to be Pharaoh's daughter, finds the basket and has compassion on this child and says, this is a Hebrew baby. She knew the baby was a Hebrew. She knew the baby was destined for death. But God had placed it in her heart to save this child. And so she took this child as her own. And she then took... Uh, Moses' own family members to come and care for this child, and God, God used this child in a, in, or the, God protected this child and put him in a place of, of 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 wealth and prosperity. And you know the story. As he got older, he looked out and he saw that one of the Israelite men was being abused, and they were fighting. And so he went out and killed the abuser. And after he killed the abuser, he then started speaking to some of the Hebrews. And they said, what are you going to kill us too? Fear racked his body, and so he ran. You remember this story? And as he ran, he went out into the wilderness, and that's where he saw a woman, fell in love, became this woman's husband. They had a child, and he settled in and had a life. I tell you that to tell you, there's no reason Moses wanted something different and no reason that he needed something different. He had flocks, he had a wife, he had children, he had safety, he had comfort, he had certainty, as much as you could have out in the wilderness. Everything was good. His father-in-law was a priest at Midian, and so so there, there was some status there. And yet Moses, on this day when he woke up, certainly did not say to himself, you know what, I think today God is going to rock my world. In my experience and in the experience that I've seen in the Scripture, we rarely know the day that God is going to rock our world. It usually starts out as an ordinary, regular, same old, same old day. We get up to make the donuts just like we did yesterday, and the day before, and the day before. And yet, God, in, in, in His holiness, it's almost as if, if, if I could draw this out, He gets to the edge of His throne and He looks at His angels and He looks at His Son and says, Today's the day. Now, why is today the day? Because God had prepared Moses for this moment. If you look back in Moses' life, God had been preparing him since birth. Listen to me, church. Your fork in the road is a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to God. Since your very inception, since your very conception, since you were born, since before you were even thought of, God said, I know the plans I have for you. He says, I'm going to bring you in your life through all the experience and through all of the emotion. I'm going to build you and I'm going to form you and I'm going to shape you. Then I'm going to bring you to a point where you have to choose. Will you be who I made you to be? Or you stay in safety and comfort? If I had to put a number and I'd say 95% of the people say, no, I want to stay with what I know. I'm not really interested in that because this is safe. Can I just tell you, you are never safer than when you're in the very perfect center of the will of God. You are safer on a battlefield in Iran in the will of God than you are in Gulf Breeze, Florida, outside of His will. You are safer in Timbuktu or Nigeria or wherever. If you're in His will, you are safer than you are if you are in your own home. And God confronts Moses through the strangeness of a bush. Now, I, I just wonder, what was God thinking? I mean, it's like he's, he's shuffling through his, through his creative ideas. How do I speak to people, right? Let me see. Uh, smoke on a mountain. No, I did that one. Um, fire in the sky. No, I did that one. Burning. Yeah, I'm going to do this one. Burning bush. That's a good one. Hadn't used that one before. I mean, just, just think of God going, I think I'm just going to light a fire on a bush and it's not going to burn up. Just going to be this big lighter. Just just nonstop. You know what's really interesting about that? I find God is really good about getting our attention with something unique and strange. So Moses is going through the wilderness and he sees this bush and he goes, Hmm... Let me go over and see what it's all about. He comes over there, and out of the bush is the voice of God. And it's him, it's God, saying Moses' name. Moses. Moses. I want you to know, church, God knows your name. If you know his name, you'll be able to hear him call your name. Moses. Moses. Take off your, your shoes, because you are standing on holy ground. So he's like, okay, I got my slipper, my sandals off. And he's just standing there bare before the Lord, and the Lord says, Moses, I'm putting before you a fork in the road. And this fork is your opportunity to be faithful or to stay the same. And Moses has this conversation with God, but it's God who's doing most of the talking. Because let me tell you something about God when He gives you this fork. He's already worked out the details. He's already figured out how it's going to work, why it's going to work, where it's going to work, how you're going to be provided for. See, because you and I don't know the details, and so we ask the details. Lord, who's going to pay for this silliness? Lord, how am I going to explain this to my family? Lord, how am I going to tell my my friends this? Lord, what am I going to do about this thing? And what am I going to do about this thing? And, and, And God is back here going, look, I've already worked. I've already done this. I've been preparing you your entire life for this. What are you afraid of? Do you not know me as a good, good father? Do you not recognize my hand in your life since your very birth, moving you to this moment in time for you can choose? Obedience or disobedience? What I love about this is in this passage, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites that there are. The Israelites cry for help. For uh, uh, The Israelites cry for help has come to me, God, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you. Notice that God is speaking of himself. He says, Moses, I have seen and I am answering and I am going to deliver. You go. You ever notice how God always, 99.9% of the time, does his work through another human being? We don't need missionaries. God can make himself very plain in any way he wants without your help in mind. But God chooses to send missionaries. And I'm not just talking about to Africa or to China or to Guatemala. He chooses to send us across the very street that we live on. He chooses to send us to school. He chooses to send us wherever He may send us, to Aniston or to, uh, 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 to Disney or wherever. He sends us there. That was just for you, Wendy. He sends us there. Because we are the physical representation of the glory of God when we are walking in step with His Spirit. God cannot hug you, but a follower of Jesus can. And that transfers His love to you. The presence of God is made known so often through another Follower of Jesus. And so when God has a plan. Rarely if ever does he say. I'm going to solve that problem. I'm going to rescue those children. I'm going to fix that in injustice. I'm going, to, I'm going to address this pain. By doing it without the use of another human. No. Here's what he says. He says I've seen your pain. I've seen your misery. I've seen your brokenness. Now you. You. Are going to go and do for me? It's your fork in the road. He says to Moses, I've observed their misery. He said to Charles Mulley, I hear the desperate orphans crying, I see them starving. I see them sleeping in a box. I see them dying of typhoid. I see the emptiness in their eyes. I see their lack of hope. I see their desperation. I see their fatherlessness. But I'm sending you to be their father. I'm giving them a dad, and you are their dad so this family of eight and wife have Charles come home one night he said he opens the door and he says um i i, I brought I brought some kids home. He opens the door, and these these Abandoned children walk into the house. No doubt they have never been in a real house before. And as they walk in, their eyes must have been the size of 50 cent pieces. Looking around. No doubt the first thing that's got, that, that Charles said was, Are you hungry? Huh. There's a bear. Have hair? See, you thought I was going the other direction. Yeah, I knew what you were thinking. By the way, yes, they do. Both of them. Right. Sorry, I couldn't resist. No doubt, he brings him into the kitchen, and he opens a refrigerator, and they've never seen such a spread of food. He puts it on the table and they devour it like a bunch of ravenous lions, just scooping it up. And Charles's eight children are standing in the corner going, That was my leftover chicken. The next night, he comes home with a few more kids. The next night, he comes home with a few more kids. There's so many kids in this house by this time that they have to actually shift the bedrooms and buy bunk beds and start to to stack them up like sardines. But you got to remember these aren't these aren't uh, uh, obedient kids. These aren't kids that are that are raised with a mom and a dad and manners. These are street kids who fight to survive. They are rough. They are aggressive. Have you ever seen a pack of hunting dogs? You've ever seen a pack of hunting dogs, that's what they were like. What you have is this cage and a bunch of dogs in the cage, and when they give food, the dogs just pile on, squeeze, just just doing everything they can just to eat something. It's the same kind of mentality. They were destroying things in the house that had been bought. They were breaking pictures and they were they were spilling things on rugs, and these kids weren't nice and neat. They had lice and they had worms and, and and they would have had 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 just grown infections all over them and the family of eight children sat back and said these kids are invading our home dad aren't we enough for you and mully's friends were saying what what are you thinking why why would you do this in fact once he had a, a gaggle of kids he started to bring them to his church They were so bad. His church had a special called meeting and said, Charles, you are always welcome here, but you cannot bring these kids. Let that sink in. Charles, you may not bring the kids because they're disrupting everything. And Charles said, okay. I'll stay home with the kids and I'll teach them myself. The house got so full that Charles said, you know, we've got to do something. So he remembered that outside of the city, two hours away, there was a plot of land that his family owned. That's the way it works. You pass land down from generation to generation. And there was this part plot of land that, uh, that he, could, he, he could go and take. And, and I guess he bought some extra as well. And so he went over and bust the kids to this desolate place. Now, i got to tell you about this place. You'll see it in the movie, but it's desert. There's there's no water, there's no trees, there's nothing green. You basically have bushes and rocks. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he gets there and these kids pile out of the vans and now they're like, well, what are we doing now? It's time to build a home. So they begin to build this home and as they begin to build it, Charles has to go into town every single day, two hours in, two hours out, just to get enough water to give the children water. And his wife is on board with this, but of course, she's suffering a little bit because a lot of the, if he's dad, she is mom. By the way, all these kids call him dad. Daddy Mully. They build themselves some places to stay. They finally realize, well, we, we're, we, we've got to do something about growing things, but we have no water. Oh, and his wife comes in and says, Charles, we have no more money. We are no longer millionaires. We are now broke. Grasp that. Let that sit on you. Let that weigh on you. Charles, we are now broke, but we got a bunch of kids. And Charles said, Lord, what am I going to do? Actually, he probably didn't say that. He said, Lord, what are you going to do? And about that time, there was a honk at the gate. And there was a giant moving truck at the gate. And when they opened the gate, the truck pulled in. They opened up the back full of food. This woman just out of nowhere, wink, wink, decided to send a truck full of food and a pile of cash to feed the children. She wasn't asked. She wasn't given an email. She didn't get a text. The Lord just said, Feed my children. And she did. By the way, there's no doubt that was a fork in the road for her. See, some of you are meant to build orphanages, some of you are meant just to help feed the kids in the orphanage. We need both. Some of you have to choose between another yacht. We're feeding hungry children. I don't know which one of you has a yacht. That just came to me, but I don't know. I got a few small yachts. So, the children now had food for months. Because Charles decided that he wasn't going to be one of the ministries that relied upon America to send money to feed the kids. He wanted God to provide He had gone through all of his money. Now it was the Lord's turn to provide in a different way. Not too long after that, one of the children got sick with typhoid fever. and That was a specific sickness that came from dirty water. Even though the water was carried in, the water was still dirty. It was not filtered like it needed to. The child was so sick that the family gathered around to pray for the child, but the child still died. It's this point that he doubted, Lord, am I really doing the right thing? Have you really brought me this far so that the children can die with no water? They were in a land that had no water. There was no well, there was no river, there was no lake, and there was no rain. It was in a dry, drought season. He went to sleep that night. And the Lord awoken, awakened him early in the morning, two, three, four in the morning. He got up, got dressed, got outside and started walking. He walked for a bit of time and he got to a place where the Lord said, stop, dig here and I'll provide your water. So he went back to the house the next morning or that that morning and he gathered the family together and said, today we're going to dig for water. They all kind of looked around and they said, what? We have no water. You see, they had already had these giant trucks come in with the pipe with with the diggers, you know the well diggers. they had done that multiple times over and over the property, and they found no water anywhere and Dad wants us now to take axes and and poles and break through rock and dig for water. I think he 's a little you yeah, right, but sure enough, because he was the father, they started digging they dug for seven days, busting through rock and digging up dirt. The children would look at him and say, Dad, what's wrong with you? There's no water. And all he could say was, The Lord told me there was water. There has to be water. I believe it was the seventh day when one of the sons hit the ground one last time and it exploded out of the ground. This geyser of water that just shot into the air. The whole family came out to watch that. They then dug a a pit and diverted the water to make a lake. Because they had water, they could start planting. They then started to till the ground and pipe the water over to the greenhouses and into the ground. If you were to go there afterwards... It's probably that way today, but I haven't been there today, so I don't know. But if you'd go there, what you would find is that barren, desolate ground became became a jungle of green with vegetables that were grown so large and so plentiful that they had so many extra that they took them to the market to sell. In fact, there was a war going on, a civil war not too far from there. And so they decided they would take the extra extra and they would ship it over and distribute it every day to the orphan children that are affected by the war. And this just kept going on and on and on. To this day, over 12,000 children have been rescued and abandoned. All because he took the fork in the road. My message to you is really very simple. Every man or woman of God in the Scripture came to a fork in the road. Every one of them had to choose on that day whom they would serve. But it wasn't necessarily, will I serve God or will I not serve God? It was a, will I serve God in obedience or will I serve God on my own terms? Over the last several months, God has been, been been working in me in this very same thing, and He's been chipping away every excuse I have to not serve Him in any way He desired. And what it all boiled down to, to me, was this: creature comfort. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm fulfilled. I'm blessed. There's, there's every reason in the world for me to stay exactly like I am. That's what I intend to do, by the way. That's what I am doing, by the way. Unless God puts a fork in the road. You know, I think God sometimes. I think God sometimes asks us questions. To test our willingness and to bend our heart. When really, he just wants to know, do we love him? That's what he did with Isaac and Abraham. That's what he did with Abraham and Isaac. You remember that? Abraham was told by God, God, or God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. And I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. And so Abraham, in faith, took his son, marched him up the hill, and was about to offer him as a sacrifice. And it was as if God grabs his arm as he raised the knife and said, Abraham, no. I'll provide. Over there in the bushes is the ram. I just wanted to check and see, do you love me more than you love everything and everyone else? Am I more important than the most important thing to you? And you've answered that question for me. Now I can bless you the way I've chose, that I've desired to bless you since before you are ever born. So what God has been doing in me is He's been chipping away at all of the things that I love. And He's brought me to a place of yes. So my yes, you need to know, is on the table For whatever fort God ever puts in my life for the rest of my life. I would kind of hope you'd say amen there. Here's why I have to tell you that. Because I have to ask you to be faithful like Moses, like Joshua, like Abraham, like Paul, like Peter, like like Elijah, like Elisha, like, like Rahab, like every biblical hero. I have to ask you to be faithful just like them. But if I'm not willing to be faithful, like I'm asking you to be faithful, then I'm the worst of the worst and I'm not worthy of anything that I'm saying. So I'm telling you my yes to God is on the table, regardless of the cost. Here's the really cool part about it. I don't have to worry about a fork in the road. Because that's not my responsibility. Neither it is your, Neither is it yours. God said to Moses, Moses, I want to do something great in a specific place and time. And I want to use you to do it. Will you walk with me? And Moses eventually said, what? Yes. Now he gave him every excuse in the book. I don't, but, but you don't want me. I can't talk. I'm not, a good, I'm not good in front of crowds. I'm not this, I'm not that. God goes, look, am I God or am I not? I believe that in this place, some of you have already come to the fork in the road. You don't need to pray about what to do. You already have heard the voice of God calling your name. What are you waiting for? A burning bush? That was a joke. What are you afraid of? I mean, are, are you afraid that you're not going to have enough? Uh, I think we've already decided that when God calls you, there's always enough. It's usually just enough, but there's always enough. How many of you all know that God used, likes to stretch it out to the very last moment, right? You ever seen that? Guess what? You don't get to see great miracles of God if you don't take the fork of the road. You get to see what you've, you get to see what comfort gives you. What about safety? You're not safe unless you're in the center of God's will. By the way, safety is a, a misnomer anyways. What is safety? You know what I think safety is? A lack of adventure. Think about it. I know, real, for real, right? Why would you be, want to be safe when you could have adventure? You'll never experience all that God has called you to experience if safety is your goal. Security. You want security? Guess what? Security is a farce. Amen? Cuz tomorrow you could have a fire in your house. Tomorrow you, or today you could hit somebody head on and become crippled or dead. That's not safe. That's not security. You could have some stranger walk up to you and, and pull out a gun just because in the mall a couple of ma- a month or two ago, there was a family that woke up, went to the mall, and some strange man took their son and threw him off of a three-story building. Security? What you can you do? Lock yourself in your home? I mean, I'm, I'm not being flippant. I'm just saying all the excuses we have to say no to God are really just excuses. God, 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 you don't have the gifts that you need to do what God's called you to do. Really? So you know yourself better than God does? Hey, guess what? His, 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 his strength is made perfect in your weakness. There's a reason you feel inadequate. It's so that you don't steal the glory from God. It's so that you don't rob from Him what is rightfully His. It's so that you stay on edge just enough that you don't say, okay, God, I got it from here. That's That's the way to destroy a ministry is to say to God, God, thanks for getting me started. I'll take it from here. There is a healthy dependence that we must have upon God when there's a fork in the road. That's why I believe that Mully went through his millions to nothing and then had to say, Lord... Without you, we got nothing. And the Lord goes, I've been waiting for this day to show you something really cool. I'll never forget the Incredibles movie. Where that kid is, the little dinky one, right? He's out here, not the little dinky one, the kid on the bicycle. They're out in front of the house. And what are you looking at? Actually, I can't remember how it goes. I just remember it was a great quote. What are you looking for? Something? I'm looking for something incredible. I'm looking for something awesome. He, there was an expectation in him that something really awesome was going to happen. Folks, why would you live the rest of your life ordinary? You get the point, don't you? So let me let me let me let me, let me put you put you at ease. I, this is not a setup for some big news. It's really not. A few of you have asked, "said are are you really just kind of setting us up for something? I'm really not. I have nothing in the works. I have no other plans. You know, my, my plan is to do exactly what I'm doing now. We're going on sabbatical for a number of reasons, not the least of which is to teach you about God, to teach you who runs the church, to help you to, to to pull out the gifts that God has given you, to rise up and be the people of God that He's called you to be? We're going on sabbaticals so that I can, I can sit down and spend, spend some, some uninterrupted quality time listening to the voice of God, asking him, Lord, what is it that you want from me? Where is it you want me to be? How do you want me to serve? But there's there's zero there's zero behind if anything I've been more transparent than most people would probably say is wise. Here's why. Because we're family. And family doesn't hold secrets from each other. We don't have to pretend, we don't have to we don't have to try to set things up. All we got to do is live life together. And so you have you can have every confidence that my my goal is simply to hear the voice of God and be obedient to the voice of God, and that is it. I'm not looking for something bigger. I'm not looking for something better. I just want to be faithful to Jesus and His call of my life. Because I don't believe I can ask you to do that if I don't live that in front of you. Amen? So... Fork in the road. Have you come to yours yet? You know, we were talking the other day. I think it was you and me and and Kevin maybe. How God, how when we look backwards, we can see His hand. Have you noticed that? I can tell you all my life, God has been, been forming me and preparing me for something. I don't know how it looks but I can tell you, I've got these passions inside of me that that eventually God's going to do something with. But I ain't worried about it. Because it's not my show. All I want to be is faithful and obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to be. Amen? So, in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Would you take a moment now and just close your eyes and bow your head? I want to ask you to examine your own heart and ask God to help you know. Actually, just ask God to get you to a yes, whether you know the details or not. With Abraham, he said, Abraham. I'm not going to tell you the details. I just want to know if you're willing. And then he told Abraham just go. Start walking. When you get there, I'll let you know. There's no better way to live, folks. And it's really not as scary as you might think it is. Ask God, God, what is it that you want from me today? What is your next step of obedience? For some of you, it's baptism. You've trusted in Jesus Christ, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism. That is your next step. Don't do anything else until you do that. For some of you, there's a, a ministry or a service, some type of serving that God has called you to do. That's your next step. Just say yes. For some of you, it's It's giving that's your next step just say yes for some of you it's bigger than that just say yes for some of you it's placing your faith in Jesus for the very first time it's by grace that you're saved through faith not of work so that none of us can boast if you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ I invite you to say yes yes God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin condemns me and separates me from you. But I believe you died on a cross. You were buried and you were raised to life on the third day to pay the penalty for my sin. So I place my faith in you, Jesus. I repent of my sin and I trust what you've done on the cross for my forgiveness. I ask you to save me and make me your child in Jesus name. Father in heaven, I pray today that you will have penetrated our hearts and that you would bring us each to the same place of saying yes to you in spite of what it may cost us. Lord, I pray your richest blessings upon us. I pray that we would hear your voice and I pray that we would be obedient to whatever you say. We ask in Jesus' name. Will you stand to your feet? Let's sing together this song of worship.